Good evening. How about Merry Christmas? There it is. Everybody's good with that one. Hey, as we get started, uh, I want to just uh, kind of pause just for a minute and acknowledge uh, before we get to the text and study uh, this Christmas Eve that I know that Christmas can bring with it, uh, it can generate a wide range of emotions for a lot of people. Um, for a lot of you, this is like your Super Bowl. Like, this is it. Like, you, every year, you can't wait. You are in on every single element of Christmas. You love the lights and the trees and the decorations. Uh, you're listening to Christmas music in July, getting ready, and you've bought and wrapped all your gifts. Uh, you're cooking special recipes, going through tra- traditions. Everything gears up, and it just culminates on this special night, and then all day tomorrow, and you just can't wait. And I think that's awesome. I get that a little bit. Then there's others where this generates emotions that are not quite full of joy and excitement. You think about the fact that tomorrow you wake up and you have to go gather with a family. And this year there was just so much tension that you're dreading getting together with family. Or maybe it got so bad that this year you're not even going to be meeting with family. Some of you will sit around a table tomorrow with an empty chair where you just can't reconcile why the chair has to be empty as you grieve the loss of someone that you love. I know in a room like this, I've sat with many of you, and Christmas after 2019 will never be the same because of what you've had to walk through this year. And that's why we preached Advent. That's why we did this series. That's why we wanted to walk through each element of Advent slowly because we have this very real and tangible hope. And yes, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus that ushered in the message of salvation that would save us from our sins. But we also have this tangible hope and we long for the day when he will come back and right every wrong and take away all of that pain. We call this season, this Christmas season, a season of joy, and I get it. I think it's joyful because Jesus did come, and we believe he is coming back again, and that is a reason for joy, but I think real joy, real tangible, real Christmas joy has room for us to wrestle with our pain a little bit as well. We can wrestle with the difficulty while also holding on to the hope and the joy. And so as we get started, I just want to stop and pray for us before we get into the message. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the hope that a night like tonight can bring. A hope to those of us that are experiencing joy and gladness. Those that are having a wonderful time and experiencing things, uh, just feeling so much happiness around them. But that same hope can also be for the one who is down, who's had it hard and rough and difficult, who might be battling some uh, discouragement, even depression. God, that hope is real, and we believe that. And so would you tonight give us ears to hear as we open your word? Would you speak to us what you would have us to hear this Christmas Eve? And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Ben sent me a story about a week and a half ago, and I did some research and some more reading on it. And uh, I got caught up on something you might be familiar with, but this past week I read all about a sheep named Shrek. Now maybe you've heard of Shrek. Uh, Shrek was this sheep. Uh, I'm, I'm like looked right over at Tad. Sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> like, of course he's heard of him. Uh, but Shrek the sheep gained international, global attention. He's from New Zealand. And uh, he escaped his flock and his shepherd, and they couldn't find him. And the, the 
fascinating part of this story is for six years, Shrek lived in a cave system in New Zealand. For six years with no uh, community of his flock, no shepherd to take care of him, and no shears. And so think about this. A typical sheep, a male sheep like Shrek, will be sheared annually, and they generate 9.9 pounds of wool. But when they found Shrek and they went to shear him, here's what he looked like after six years. That's a real picture. That's, not, that's a real photo. Here's another one to kind of encapsulate exactly. Like, that's the real deal. That is mind-boggling to me. Um, that is one ugly sheep. But, like, are any sheep attractive? I don't know, but this one's especially kind of scary. When they sheared him, he didn't produce 9.9 pounds of wool. He produced 60 pounds of wool. Look at this after him being sheared. They were able to... Uh, Use that wool to generate 27 full-size men's coats. (laughs) Fascinating how much relief he must feel with that weight. Because for six years, six years, Shrek the sheep carried six times the weight he was supposed to be carrying. All because he was separated from his shepherd. I read that and I think to myself, maybe Jesus was on to something when he said in John chapter 10 that he would be the shepherd And he would come to take care of us, his sheep. I read something like that, and what immediately comes to my mind is Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus made an invitation to those of us who are carrying more burdens, more weight than we should be carrying. When he said, come to me, all of you, all of you who are tired, who are exhausted and heavy burdened, carrying the weight you weren't designed to carry, and I will give you rest. But if you're wired like me, that's just not the way things actually play out. You see, I I live in a world where when I am burdened, I am to work harder, to do more, to achieve more, to accomplish more. I'm to power through. We have mottos like no one cares, work harder, get it done, and go finish whatever it is you're working on. And all of these burdens begin to pile up. All these pains begin to pile up. And before you know it, you're coming to another Christmas season where you're supposed to feel joy, but you just feel burdened and kind of weighed down when you're honest about it. You're carrying a weight you weren't designed to carry, and it gets really difficult. And you come to this Christmas season, you're looking for some relief because it's not tangible and real to you in this moment. You just kind of feel overwhelmed. And then there's this Christmas invitation that he would take those burdens from you. And you're just wondering, where is that? And so tonight, I want us to look at Christmas from a slightly different angle, a little bit of a different lens. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. While you're turning there, let me catch you up just a little bit on the book of Revelation. Revelation opens with the phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word revelation found in chapter 1, verse 1, is a Greek word, apocalypsis. Apo meaning to pull back and lipsis meaning the veil. And so literally the book of Revelation means to pull back the veil, to get a glimpse of something. And so the veil is pulled back and what do we get a glimpse of? We get to see Jesus as he was 2,000 years ago, even as the baby sleeping in the manger. And we get to understand what that first coming really meant. But we also get a very clear picture of Jesus as he is now, the King of kings, the resurrected God, the Lord of lords. But what I want to do is I want us to focus in a little bit closer uh, before we get to chapter 21 and kind of understand a little bit about the person who wrote this vision down. Revelation was written by a man named John. He's one of the apostles. He would have written other books in your New Testament, like the Gospel of... You're with me. Thank you. The Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd 
Okay, nailed it. And then there's Revelation. So he, he would have written all of these. As a matter of fact, by the time that the book of Revelation is written, John is um, he's an older man, and, and he's the only living apostle. And now the Romans, they wanted to get rid of this movement of Christians, this movement of people following this teacher from Jerusalem named Jesus. They wanted to completely rid the world of it. And so they began to persecute and even kill and martyr many of the Christian leaders. But there was a problem that they had. Every time they'd kill a leader in the church, the church would grow. All these other people would become Christians. And so now they're thinking, we're down to the last apostle. We can't kill him. Now, you got to understand this about John. He was a pastor. He cared about people. He had a pastor's heart. He pastored many different churches. He just loved to be around people. So he was very influential because people loved him. And so they thought, we can't kill him, but he's a problem, so let's get rid of him. And they sent him off to this island called Patmos. It's kind of like solitary confinement, if you will, so that he can rot away and just die, and he's not going to be an issue to us. But I find it fascinating that they viewed this man as a problem. Is there any guesses as to how old he might have been when he wrote this book down? He's 90. He's a 90-year-old man. He's 90 years old when he writes the book of Revelation. And so think about it. They get down to the very last one of the apostles. They want to rid the world of all of them. They say, this guy's a problem. Let's send him to Patmos. So they send the soldiers in to get him. The soldiers are like, which guy? Which one's the problem? Who are we sending away? That guy. Which one? That guy. The old guy with the walker and the dentures. He's a problem. <laughs> get him. And okay, if this is the guy's the problem, they send him off to this island. Now, here's where I want us to slow down just for a minute. Picture this. John is sent to this island, 90 years old. He'd been following Jesus for roughly 60 years. This takes place 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He has been following Jesus for a long time. He's lived a lot of life, a lot of experience, a lot of years have worn him down. And he is sitting on this island now. History tells us John would have been beaten on multiple occasions for his faith. He would have been flogged beaten within an inch of his life. One historian tells us that they would have poured black, hot, boiling tar on parts of his body to torture him. On top of all of that, this is a man over the 60 years who has watched many of his friends die. As a matter of fact, all of the other apostles at this point had been martyred and killed, and he misses his friends. And now they send him to an island where he has to sit and kind of rot away for the rest of his days, missing everyone that he loves. He can't even be around anybody that he loves anymore. And here he is, he's just sitting there. And on top of all of that physical stuff, you got to think what the, the memories were doing to him as he sat down, this old man, on this island, um, an island that was only 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. It's a small island, and he's just sitting there, left for dead, struggling with the memories. There's no doubt in my mind that John would have thought about that night before Jesus died. Back in, when he wrote about it, it would have been in John chapter 13. Two different times he mentioned that night. John chapter 13 and John chapter 21, where he would reference the power that that night had in his life. He would re recall in his memory sitting on this island, sitting down next to Jesus and resting on the chest of Jesus as his head rested on the chest of Jesus. And he literally listened to God's heartbeat. He would have recalled what that first Christmas really meant to the world. He would have been thinking, man, all those years ago when Jesus was born into this world, I never would have known how transformative that message of love would have been. You see, the first Christmas changed everything for John. So much so that he would later recall and later uh, address himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, that first Christmas, that message of love changed everything in John's life. Completely transformed him. But what about now, all these years later? 60 years after the resurrection, sitting here, left for dead. 
haunted by his memories, burden after burden piling up on top of him. And it's in this moment of despair and desperation. It's in this moment of just feeling like there's nothing left. I don't know what else to do that Jesus shows up. And in Revelation chapter 1, John describes what that looked like, what that took, how that took place. And he says that in the midst of his despair, when he was left for dead, Jesus shows up and he gets this vision of Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he describes it this way. He says, when I turned and saw the voice that was speaking to me, I fell on my face as though dead. After 60 years of following Jesus, all kinds of journeys and adventures, heartbreak and disappointment. He still had such a reverence for this risen king. He couldn't even look at him. He falls on his face as though dead. Reverence. And he learned a lesson that day, and I'm convinced he learned that lesson. It's a lesson I've had to learn over and over and over again in my stubborn walk with Jesus. It's a lesson I've had to relearn and relearn and relearn, and I have a feeling I'm going to have to keep learning it, and it's this. When you approach Jesus with reverence, he meets you as a good shepherd. You see, the second part of Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 says that in that moment when he had fallen on his face as though dead, meeting Jesus with reverence, the good shepherd put his hand on his shoulder and said, John, don't be scared. It's me. I'm here. I told you I was coming back. And he says, stand up. I've got some things I want you to write because there's a group of Christians that are suffering and they're carrying burdens they were never meant to carry, and I need you to remind them of what's coming. And so he gives them a message, a vision of how human history would conclude and the new heavens and the new earth and what his final coming would be like and what it would usher in. And John begins to write it down, and he is reminded and overwhelmed. It's as if the shepherd took some shears and began to clip away the burdens. And so now you have this relief, and he wants to share this relief, and he writes it down. And we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. He says, after the conclusion of this vision, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. He says, on that day when Jesus returns, he's going to, uh, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Everything's going to be made different. Everything's going to be made better. A couple months ago, I bought, I'm going to geek out on you here for a second. I bought a, a single bound volume of J.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings. And uh, I enjoyed, I'd read that once before. I thought, man, this is a collector's edition. It's all bound in one single book. I want to get this and read through it. And then after I bought it, I realized I have four kids. And so it sat on a shelf and I didn't read it for quite a while. And then recently I picked it up and I've been rereading it in the evening. And I'm reminded, man, I think Tolkien, if you know this story from the movies or the books, had to have a similar scene in mind. There's this scene, it's in the sixth uh, book, or the third movie, there you go, at the end of the third movie, where a character, uh, we'll call him Sam, Samwise Gamgee, he has, he's been defeated, he is overwhelmed, he just feels like he has nothing left, and he hears a voice, and Tolkien writes, it's so similar to John's experience, he says he turns, and when he turns, he sees the king who he thought was lost, Gandalf. And in a moment, he, he just, he has this beautiful encounter with him where he says these words, he says, Gandalf, I, I thought you were dead, and then I thought I was dead, and then the most beautiful question ever written, I think, he said this, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? This is John saying, yes, 
everything sad is going to come untrue on that day when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. We said it this way, that John is building up this transformative vision for something better in life, that he knows that you can have real rest and real uh, fulfillment from Jesus. Yes, right now in this life, but we are surrounded by sin. And it still has a profound impact on our life. And though we can have rest and fulfillment from Jesus right now, we are still, we are still affected by the sin in the world around us and in our own hearts. And so we long for this day. You've heard us say this in this sermon series that the, the first coming of Jesus brought about a relief from our sin. It ushered in the message of salvation and the final coming, the one we long for, will bring in relief from our suffering. And on that day, we... We long for it. But how? How is it? How is the new heavens and the new earth going to bring about a relief, a real relief from our suffering? Well, he answers that in beginning in verse 3. He says this. He says, here's how the new heavens and the new earth will change everything. He says, I heard a loud vow, a voice from the throne saying, behold. Anytime you read the word behold, circle that. You can just, you know that whatever is going to be said next, it's kind of a showstopper word. It's stop what you're doing and pay attention to what I'm about to say. Behold. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So what he started out saying is this, that the, the centerpiece of the Christian life is that one day God will be with us. He will be with us. That is the, the missing chapter, if you will. So, so think about it that way. Think about it like tomorrow morning you wake up and the, bit, the gift that the, your parents or your whoever, your kids got you, the, the gift that they're so excited for you to open, you open it up and it's a book. You're like a little anticlimactic, but it's a book. And so you're like, all right, out of obligation, I'm going to read this book for them. And you open it up and you begin to read this book and it's fascinating. There's stories and there's adventures and but as you get into it, you begin to realize this book doesn't seem to make sense. There's some like uh, loose ends and things aren't coming together and it's just not fully making sense to me. When the person who gave you the gift a month later comes to you and says, hey, I forgot that there was a second part of your gift. There's this missing chapter to that book and they published it later. So here it is. It's the missing chapter and you get the missing chapter of this book you've been reading and all of a sudden everything makes sense. All the loose ends come together. You begin to get meaning out of all the adventures. Everything seems to come together because there's this missing chapter. And I'm telling you tonight that that's Christmas. The missing chapter to all of our pain and suffering in this world is that one day we will walk with God. One day he will be with us. We will have his presence. Most people love jumping to verse 4. And I can understand why. They all want to get to verse 4 because of the benefits of what is going to happen when he returns. But John starts with verse 3 because he knows better than what he'll do for us is the very presence of our king. To walk with him and to be with him. And he says when you can understand that, then you're going to understand that when you are with him like a good shepherd, he will, verse 4, wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. And on that final Christmas morning, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, there's our word again, Behold, I am making all things, everything new. And that word new is a very unique word to this chapter of the Bible. Most of the time in the Bible, it's, that's not the word that's used. John uses the Greek word kainos for new. Most of the time in your New Testament, you're going to read the Greek word naos to mean new. And what they mean when they say naos is this. If you've ever seen um, anybody who restores furniture, 
You have that gift. You can drive by, you see somebody's broke down piece of furniture. You can put it in the car, take it home. You can do some work on it. All of a sudden, everybody sees what was once on the side of the road, and they say, man, that's incredible. It looks just like new. Or maybe you've seen a father and son get together and restore a vehicle. They take this old clunker, and they begin to work really hard on it, and it takes a couple of years. But when they're done, you look at this car, and you're just like, man, that thing is just as good as new. That's what naos means. That's not the word that Jesus says here. That's not the word that John uses to describe what Jesus said. He uses kainos. And what kainos means is this. It means it's not something that was once beaten up and broken and he worked really hard and restored it. This is a completely new thing. This is completely new. That word appears somewhere else in your New Testament. The apostle Paul was writing a letter to a church. And in this letter, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he describes you and me in this life right now. And he says, if anyone is in Christ, meaning anyone has put their faith in Jesus Christ, they've been baptized in the Christ, that what happens then, he is a kainos creation. He is a new creation. And he says this, when you go under, the old is past, and behold, the new has come. You are a completely new creation in this life. But here's the thing, you are still surrounded by sin. The sin that infects the world around you and the same sin that still seems to win a battle here and a battle there in your own heart. That's burden after burden and weight after weight. And so we long for this day. We can't wait for this day when he will come and he will make all things new. And so if you're like me, Christmas can be bittersweet. I love the traditions that my family, when I say family, I mean my wife, has instituted into our family. I didn't have any traditions growing up. I had a different kind of childhood. Uh, it was not uh, the kind where you had Christmas traditions. We'll leave it at that. I married a girl who loves her some Christmas traditions, and so we've instituted some into our family rhythm, and I can't get in. I love this time of the year for that. We cut down a real Christmas tree, and uh, we do these Christmas Eve boxes, and so after this service, I'm going to go home before the thank you again, Ben Faust, for the 11 p.m. service. Before I come back for that, I'm going to uh, go do our Christmas Eve boxes with my kids. And we have these, and I, we get up Christmas morning, and my kids endure a dad-cooked breakfast. That's the penance they pay in order to open presents. And so we have all these great traditions, and I love it. I love that uh, sleeping in. I love sleeping in, and I get to do that here for the next few days. I love that after the 11 o'clock service, I'm clocking out until January 2nd. See you later. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that time with my family. I love it. But I also, every single Christmas, without fail, I know that I'm going to carry the sting in my heart for the people that I miss, that have gone too soon. And for me, it's usually, I just miss my parents. I just wish that my, my mom could have seen and met my kids. And she's not here. And so every Christmas, man, that just hits like a wave of grief. And I carry with me now, the weight of my own uh, disappointment and my regret that time after time throughout the year, I have opportunities to do things for the kingdom. And I just miss these opportunities. And you reflect on a year and you think, I could have done a lot more for God this year. And, and I, I, I carry with me the pain of disappointment, both in how I've hurt people this year and how other people have hurt me throughout this year. And I have to carry that weight with me. And maybe you're like me, and maybe you're battling that, and you have to walk through, and you have to deal with what it's like to walk through this bittersweet Christmas season in a sinful, broken world, and you wonder to yourself, is everything sad ever going to come untrue? And you just wrestle with that. 
So tonight I want to remind you the words of your king, the message of your king, when he looks and he says, yes, behold, I am making all things new. I can't wait for that day when I see him and I fall on my face as though dead, heavy burdened with the weight of all the brokenness of this world. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Rob, don't worry. I told you I was coming back. I told you I was coming back. And if that's you this Christmas, I bring you to the words of John at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 22 when he looked to heaven And he said, come, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. And I pray that when you read that, your response is the same as John's, the same as mine. And you say, amen. Let's pray.